Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for this opportunity and we do want, Lord, to be a church that focuses and, and is centered around you. We want this church to be a place where there is an incredible sense of, of you. And so, Father, from, from that desire, cause us as a church to rise up. Cause us as a church to, to walk in your spirit. Lead us now as we open up your word. Lead us into, into reflection so that we may honor you in all things. Amen. Our reading is going to be uh, Ephesians 15, 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint, saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want to start off by asking, what is your favorite Bible story? If you have to think about it, like a narrative, a story, what's your favorite Bible story? And you don't have to tell me. You can come tell me afterwards. If you buy me coffee, I'll sit and listen to your, your story. And you can, uh, this is going to be a theme, guys. If you're going to buy me coffee, um, I'll name the place, you name the budget, and we're there. What's your favorite Bible story and why? One of my favorites, it's not my favorite, my favorite um, is the account where, where Jesus is walking with the disciples. And I find it absolutely hilarious. It's where Jesus is walking with the disciples. He had fed the 5,000 men, not counting women and children. He had fed the 4,000. He starts speaking about the leaven of the Pharisees and the, the, the disciples going like, oh man, he knows we left the bread behind. And it's just this moment of Jesus going, oh, dude, guys, please, man, do you not remember? I find it exceptionally hilarious. But for today, a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant story that I really, really do love in scriptures, 2 Kings 6 verse 11 to 19. Now, most of you are thinking, yes, Andrew, that's a wonderful story, because I know exactly what that story is about. I had to go and Google the reference. Like, what's that story? What's the reference? What I love about it is, the, the context is, Elisha had, had succeeded Elijah, and there were people who, wanting to, who wanted to kill Elisha, because he, um, he kept sort of foiling their plans. And so they come with all their army, and, and the, the servant of Elisha is a young man. He, he kind of wakes up, rolls out of bed, walks out, and he sees this, this huge human army. And he, he has a bit of a meltdown. And Elisha, and I'm going to read you from 2 Kings 6 verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. 
Open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What a beautiful picture that you've got this Elisha saying, dude, you see this human army in front of you. Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes that he may see. And as the servant looks around, he sees an innumerable, innumerable, that's a, a strong word to say on a Sunday morning, a very big spiritual army in front of him, far exceeding the human one here. It's this picture of this man going, I don't see how we can do this because we're two and they're a lot. And Elijah says, no, we are not just two. We're very, very, very big, plus two, and they're small. That's how big God is. So when you serve God, know that what you see before you is nothing in comparison to God. This story gives us some display, some, some picture of Paul as he prays. And we are in a season, Northcliffe Union Church, and I've encouraged us in whatever way I can with the home groups, with um, corporate prayer, and now with our preaching, we're in a season where we're going to be looking at prayer. We're going to be looking at prayer. We've just finished a wonderful, wonderful three weeks of corporate prayer. We met on a Saturday, and we're going to try and do something again later in the year, um, hopefully around Pentecost and maybe again later and I want to encourage you, folks, it's an hour. Be there. You walk out blessed thoroughly. The home groups in various shapes and forms are looking at prayer. And my encouragement to you is last week is if you're not in a home group, join, find somebody and say, hey, Chumi, let's come pray. Let's go and do this. Let's meet at Seattle. We'll pray. Uh, uh, as long as you're buying, I'm there praying. Let's do this. And we're going to be looking at prayer for the next few weeks in our sermons. And I want to encourage you that the, the book that I'm sort of using as a, a resource now and then is by a guy called D.A. Carson. If I ever was going to be a groupie of some living theologian, Carson would be him. And he speaks about spiritual reformation, and the subtitle is Priorities of Paul in Prayer. And that, that's sort of where we're going to be looking. I'm not going to be following it in order, but we need to be looking at prayer. Now, when we look at prayer, there are two important reasons that we need to look at prayer for where we are right now. Is that we, NUC, are in a stage of considerable change, aren't we? Things are changing. I'm going to say later on, if I remember, but this is not the only change that you're going to be facing this year. And I would argue it's probably not even the biggest change that many of us are going to be facing. Some of us are going to go through a lot more upheaval or are currently going through a lot more. I mean, you think about a job change. You think about a house move. You think about your teenage daughter dating. Oh, guys, change. Prayer is the defining aspect. The second reason is prayer is the defining aspect of the Christian. Who you are before God in prayer is who you are as a Christian. And please let that sink in. Who you are before God in prayer 
is who you are as a Christian. If you are honest before God in prayer, you will be an honest Christian. If you are not, you won't be. If you are humble, God will raise you up. If you seek after him, God will provide. Who you are before, before God in prayer is who you are as a Christian. So folks, this is exceptionally important. But then, if we are saying that this is so important, we have to then ask two essential questions, and it's imperative for us to understand this answer. When it comes to prayer, we have to ask, is God able? I mean, why pray if God can't do? Why pray and say, Lord, I'm in a time of change, I'm in a time of crisis, I need a job, I need, um, I need help, I need... Nobody to date my daughter while she's a teenager. Can you do this? We have to ask, and we have to be satisfied with the answer that, is God able? Why else invest ourselves into something when we're not sure that God can or can't do this? Can God answer our prayers? Then the second question we have to ask is, is God willing? Is God willing? Is he able and is he willing? Why should he listen to me when I come and pray? Why should God, as infinite a being as he is, as transcendent as being as he is, as he is upholding all of creation, why should he listen to me? I mean, I think I'm important. But in the greater scheme of things, I don't want the sun to explode. Like, that's important, isn't it? Not me in all my little issues. So why would God listen to me? So is God able and is God willing? If we don't have a satisfactory answer for that, we are not going to pray with any degree of effectiveness. Why? Because there will be doubt. There will be hesitation. There will be fear. So we need to understand prayer. Now, as we look at the subject of prayer, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 23, and, and throughout the weeks, we're going to be looking at several areas where Paul prays. And this right now is never going to... This right now, today, is not going to be a thorough study on Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 23. Because I'm trying to draw out of us, out of it, principles for us to pray. Alright, so there's a lot more there that I'm going to be moving past. And I want to encourage you to go and study Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 23 this week. But Paul briefly explains the reason for his praying. He says, your faith and your love, Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I now pray. And he explains his prayers. And I'm going to try and give a bit of a, a diagram, uh, not a very uh, a well done diagram, but a diagram to display how Paul looks at this. And first of all, we see, I hope you can read that, is that we see, please God give. Please God give. Please, God, give. And he says there, please give the spirit of revelation and wisdom. 
please God, give the spirit of revelation and wisdom. Now that could mean, if we look over there, God, the spirit who gives wisdom and revelation. Or it could mean the attitude. So what he's saying here, let me go back there. He's saying here, by saying this first one, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the, the, the Greek, there isn't a specific article in front of the spirit, so it could mean give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, right? So do we think wisely? Do we think with wisdom? Do we think with discernment? So it could be an attitude, or it could be the one who gives wisdom and revelation, namely the spirit of God. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying either give an attitude of spirit and, and revelation, or an attitude of spirit of revelation and wisdom, or give to you the spirit who gives wisdom and revelation. And if you read in Colossians 1 verse 9, this is what we're looking at next week, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what's praying for there? An attitude or a disposition. So he's not there praying for the spirit to be given to you. He's praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But in Ephesians, he says it rather, for the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. And so what we're going to look at and say is that, that God's saying here, that, or Paul is saying, give to the Christian the spirit who gives wisdom and revelation. What is Paul praying here? Paul is praying, God, give to them God so that God may reveal God to them. God the Father, please give to them the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God must reveal to them God the Father. Because it is the Spirit of God who reveals wisdom and knowledge. It is the Spirit of God who reveals to you and to me who God is. And he says this, continuing, he says, either give the, the, the verse in, in verse 18, um, it's either a repetition or a restatement of give to them the Spirit, or it is um, the reason for it. And what he says here, he says, um, if we go back, let me go back. Oh, I've gone back too far now. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, either that phrase, having your eyes of your heart enlightened, is a repetition of give to them the spirit of, of God, or it is the reason for what he's asking. And what he means here is he's saying, and that's why I think that, that you see it there as a because. What he's saying here is, I am praying, I'm going to pick on Peter at the moment, just because he's in front of me. I am praying, Peter, for you. I am praying that God may give to you the spirit who brings wisdom and revelation. And why I am praying that is because your heart has been enlightened. You have been born again of God. You, you have come alive from a place of being dead in your sin. 
to now understanding and perceiving the truth of God. And because you are in this new state, I am going to pray for you so that you may know God more. I'm going to pray for you now that you have been awoken. I'm going to pray that you may have the Spirit who gives to you wisdom and discernment and knowledge so that you may know me. I want you to know me. And I'm praying this for you because your heart has been awoken. Your heart, which was dead, has now been brought to life through regeneration. And now, I want you to grow. I want you to grow. And I want you to grow in the knowledge of God. I want you to grow in the knowledge of God. So, Lord, please give yourself to him in the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God. Give to him yourself. And then he says, I'm praying all of this that you may know God so that there may three things may result. First of all, that you may learn the hope of your calling. The hope of your calling. Amidst all that we face, the call of God is a call to a future reality and a certainty that engenders confidence and stability. No matter what you go through, folks, if you've been called by God, if you've been born again of God, you know that this is a temporary reality. You are headed for heaven. And you need to know that. Because when life gets you down, when things are overwhelming, our gaze narrows down. And we lose sight of the fact that God says, I've called you and you are mine. And this hope is not a reality of just joy and bubbles, like everything's going to be happy that we're going to sing through life and we're going to skip and dance and, and give high fives to everyone and everyone's going to be like, oh man, you're so happy, let me give you 50 cents because that's all I can afford. And you're like, that's great because 10 people give me 50 cents is five rand and I can, I don't know where I'm going with this. But the point is, it's not, it's not this nebulous little feeling. It is the fact that you are headed to heaven, folks. You are headed to your Father. And what you go through here is temporary in comparison to 10,000 years and then some. You are called and you belong to Jesus. Do you know that? So not only are you supposed to know the hope of your calling, you're also supposed to know your value as God's inheritance. Now, there's two ways that we can understand this. It's either, and Ephesians is, it shifts, the, 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 Paul speaks, first of all, your inheritance in God. Early on in, in, in Ephesians 1, he speaks about your inheritance, so what you are going to get. But then he shifts you and says, I want you to know that you are God's inheritance. So just as you get from God, 
And this to me is a very difficult concept for me to personally understand. God gets me as his inheritance. I mean, just think about that. Now, maybe you're looking at me and you're going, Andrew, I mean, you certainly are a catch. I mean, you look like, uh, you know, I trimmed my beard even so, you know, hey, Andrew, I mean, you're a, you're a catch of inheritance. But Andrew, when I look in the mirror and nobody's around, and I really look in the mirror, and I look right down deep in my soul, you know, you get those moments where you look in the mirror and you just, and you think about who you are and you think about what you've done and you think about just, so let me not use you, let me use me. There are days where I don't think of it on the catch. And I go, man, you would think of me as your inheritance? Like, Lord, I'm getting the God of all creation. And you're getting a guy who just wants to make a joke about everything. You're getting a guy who's prone to to anger. You're getting a guy who's impatient. You're getting a guy who you're not getting I'm not an inheritance. But God says of me and of you I've bought you with a price. And I'm not looking at you now as you are. I'm looking at who I'm making you to be through Jesus Christ. And so you are my inheritance. I struggle a lot with that. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel are often spoken about as God's inheritance. I mean, just even in the Old Testament, they were spoken about as God's inheritance. And these guys who constantly betray God, in the same way that Paul is praying for the Ephesians and praying also for us, that we may be given God to know God. And from knowing God, we understand that we are called. We understand that we, be, we are God's inheritance. And finally, that we may know God's power currently working in God's people. Folks, God is active. God is working. And so often when we look at, we look at life, we have so many reasons to complain. But God is active. God is working. So, Paul says, I'm asking, saying, please, God, would you give? Would you give to the church in Ephesus? Would you give to them your spirit? The one who gives revelation and wisdom. Would you give to them your spirit? So that your spirit would draw them back to look at God and say, this is my God. This is who I love. This is who rescued me. And from knowing God, when we see God, we see that God has called us. Not only that God has called us, that God delights in us as his inheritance. Because the power of the gospel works in us a mighty work. And as we look at God, we see that God is currently active today. And all of this, all of this, 
has got to be based on the fact that God is able, right? And so when we read, in, if, if there's, there's the, 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 the text continues in Ephesians 1 verse 19. And we could either understand that as a continuation of God's power at work in His people, saying that, 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 that this is an extension of God's power at the work of His people, and we see this in the foundation of, or according to, and I love that word in, in Ephesians, according to God's power displayed in, in raising Christ from the dead and putting Him at the head of all creation. Or it could mean that all of these three things are based or according to the power we see in God raising Jesus from the tomb to the throne. So we've got to stop and go, man, we're looking at God. We need to learn these three things. We're looking at God, and then we're seeing God at work by taking Jesus from the grave, raising him to new life, overthrowing our, our enemy, and putting us, or putting him at the head of all of creation, all powers, all principalities, all authorities. Everything is under subjection to him, under his feet. That, that's a picture of saying God rules over everything. So this is what Paul is trying to show us in prayer. And the concept of throne is that Jesus is on the throne. And this idea of being on the throne is expanded. So he's saying not only is all of creation um, under the feet of Jesus, Jesus is also given as head to the church. Or head of the church. We have a king who is head of this church. So folks, there are things that we can do as a church that cause us to walk in disobedience to God. Absolutely, yes. But folks, never let us forget that every single church belongs to Jesus, the head. And as head of all creation, as the one who's sitting sovereign over everything, he is given to the church to be its head. And this idea of headship gives us a, one of leadership, a king. He is king of this church, but also head, meaning the idea that he is the source of growth. And we see this later in Ephesians. So folks, Christ is king of this church. And so when we are overwhelmed by things, we've got to say, Christ is king of this church. And when we are dry in life, we've got to say that Christ is head of this church. And therefore we need to draw from him and grow from him. So why pray like this? Why must, why, what's the value in praying like this? What, is, what do we learn? Because our goal of this is, as I'm looking at this, I'm trying to show us how tomorrow you can start praying with more intention. I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for each other. Lord, give them the Holy Spirit so that they may know you more, so that both myself and the people I'm praying for 
may know the hope of the calling. That they may see themselves because of the gospel as your inheritance, Lord. And that they may see that God is working. Why pray like this? First of all, we cannot naturally understand a God who is spirit. There are two facts. God is invisible. And we have blinded our spiritual senses through sin. God is invisible and we have blinded our senses through sin. So we need God to reveal himself. You will not understand God until God reveals himself to you. So this is a prayer for the Christian. For your brothers and sisters. We will get to what we should pray for people who are non-Christian. But this is what we are to constantly pray for each other and for ourselves. Lord, give me more of your spirit who brings revelation, who brings wisdom. Give me more so that I may know more, that I may understand more, that I may live from this reality more. We cannot understand God unless he reveals himself to us. Second of all, we live in a world that leaves us broken. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that this world's not a very nice place, is it? Uh, there was a, uh, my wife and I were driving the, on the car on Friday, and um, we were in the right. Let me just state this very, very clearly. Eh? We got to the, the, the robot. It was our, our wonderful friend load shedding. The robot was off. We got there, and I proceeded to go, and the little car came, and this... Um, and this young lady thought she was in the right because I don't know why. Um, and I had to jam on brakes. And then my wife and I are gesticulating. And then she's gesticulating and doing all these things. And we're both like trying to learn sign language there. And I left from that with a deep, it was deep. And I had to then dig it out and get rid of it. Um, as you can see, I'm totally over it. Um, but this, this deep well of anger, right? And in sense of injustice, we were there first. Like, Lord, can I ask that you smite a tire? Something, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, Lord. And we both get all frustrated, and then we get angry, and then people say things, and then we go into the world, and people disappoint us, and people um, you know, say things about us, and then we fail, and then when we fail, the evil one comes and says, ha, 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 look, you're pathetic, you fail, you suck. We live with tangible brokennesses of relationship which mark us deeply. And into the context of this, where we are broken down. And what we do is we give out of that brokenness, right? We hear, God has called you. We hear, you are God's. How can we believe that? Unless God grabs you and says, I'm going to show you with tenderness, with gentleness, in my case, sometimes with a bit of a smack, that I love you. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot know this without God. 
hear me clearly. You cannot get people to know this without God. You cannot get your husbands and wives to know this without God. You cannot get your children to know this without God. Why? Because this world is a place of attrition. It breaks us down. But God is the God of creation who can say to you, whatever voice you hear, however loud it may seem, let me turn it down and let me speak to you with the song of all creation and show you that I have redeemed you. I have brought you back. You are mine. You are mine. And I celebrate you. I delight over you. I delight in you. And one day when you see what I'm making you to be, when you stand before me in glory, you will see the power of the gospel fully realized. And you will be able to say, Lord, what you've done for me, all honor and glory and credit goes to you. But until God breathes this truth into our hearts, you and I will not believe it. We will not. You will not. I will not. And finally, we live in times of chaos that overwhelms us. One of the best slogans I heard in a church that I first worked in um, and, and was their whole mission statement was we live, um, we live in a broken and fast-changing world. And I just, I love that statement because this world is like, I mean, we, folks, we're already in the 10th of February or 11th of February. Was it 10th or 11th? 11th? I mean, you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? February, where, where, where has January gone? We're, we're at stage six, load shedding. And, and let's be honest, like, this isn't anybody's cup of tea. It's more like just water with a tea bag in because we don't have you know, electricity to heat up that, that water, right? We've got finances that are just spiraling out of shape. My coffee is getting more expensive, which is why I'm desperate for you to have a meeting with me so you can pay, right? <laughs> there are challenges that we are going to be facing internally within our own selves and externally. And I want to say to you that changes in NUC are in all likelihood, which I mentioned before, are probably not the biggest changes you're going to be facing this year. Life is probably going to smack you a couple of times in the face. What a reminder we need to know that in the midst of all of this, God is strong. We need to know this so we can lean into this. Now, all of these three points need the grounding of God's established victory in Jesus. Otherwise, it's just a vague and nebulous hope. If we are not persuaded that God is powerful, if we do not see Jesus rising from the tomb and see him ascending to glory and seeing him um, with all things under the subjection to him, we will pray as a man who has no hope, no confidence. The story of Elisha and his servant gives us in a picture a display of the spiritual reality that is reality. It is beyond our natural perception, but it doesn't make it any less true. As we speak, God's angelic army is innumerable. 
It is beyond our understanding. And he doesn't even need that army because he is God. He spoke and a son came into existence. Folks, God is strong. And God has displayed his overwhelming victory in raising Jesus from the death, from death, from the tomb. And now puts all of creation under his feet. With all that we face, we need to see that God has won, is winning, and will win all the battles that he intends to win, including battles where you are involved. I want to say this again. None of the hope that we have as a Christian will ever make sense in any of your life until God breeds that reality into you. Please understand the need for you to be praying for yourself and for people around you. Let's revisit these two questions. Is God able? See the Christ who overcame the grave and is now seated as king over all powers and authorities and is now given to the church. Yes, God is able. The question you want to ask is, are you tomorrow going to pray? Is God willing? See the, see the Christ who is reigning supreme given now to the church, this church, as our head. Is God willing? Yes. In Christ, Jesus is willing. Again, the question you must be asking is, tomorrow, are you going to pray? I want to close with this reflection before we head into a time of communion. I want to ask questions for us to think. What would happen if this church, the people here, the people sitting right next to you, me in front of you, the person behind you, what would happen if we genuinely grew and grew and grew in our knowledge of God? What would happen in this church? What would happen if people had a stability and an unshaken confidence in the fact, the fact that God through Jesus Christ has called them? What would happen if we had to sit here knowing that I belong here because God has called me? And no matter what I face, no matter what I go through, God has called me. And I belong to God and God belongs to me. What would happen if the Christian sitting here was convinced by God that no matter what the world has told them, no matter what they believe, that they are God's inheritance? What would happen in our relationships here? 
We all believe this in our very core. What would happen if the Christian sitting here had to be saying, no matter what I face, no matter what I go through, no matter the obstacles I have to engage with, God has proven and displayed and is now currently working with a power that exceeds my feeble understanding. So I have confidence. What would happen if all of us here were growing in that? 